Welcome to the Holistic Women's Health Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Adele King, certified nutritionist and holistic women's health expert. Here, we'll cover all topics related to nutrition, women's health, hormones, self-development, and personal growth. I'm here to guide you on your journey to balancing your hormones, loving your menstruation, cycle syncing, and living your best life. Now let's get into it. Hello, and welcome back to the Holistic Women's Health Podcast. On today's episode, I am talking with Dr. Robin Murphy, but before we get into the episode, I just wanted to do a quick little catch up and just give you some updates and talk about a couple things. So over the weekend, I actually discovered as I was Googling the podcast and putting together some statistics and looking into how the podcast is doing and all that good stuff, you know, listeners and, and just getting to know you guys a little bit better so I can tailor these episodes more to everyone listening. I actually discovered that there are reviews from the States. And of course that doesn't surprise me because most of my listeners are actually from the States over about 80%. But over here in Canada, when I use my app, my iTunes podcast app, when I use the app and I look at my podcast, I can only see Canadian reviews. I can't see any reviews from the States. And so I I had no idea about this. I don't know if you guys knew about this. So when I was looking into my podcast and I saw that there were a few for the podcast from the States, I just thought, oh my gosh, this is all new to me. And so I started reading them and it just warmed my heart and made me so, so, so happy. So thank you to everyone who left a review that just totally brightened my day and brightened my entire weekend. And I was just so giddy and happy about it. Someone says, I love listening to this podcast. It is very informative and thought provoking. And they say it would be awesome if I could do an episode on fibroids. So I can definitely do one on fibroids. And then someone else says, listening to your podcast gives me so much inspo for my personal life as well as my business. You're so cool and amazing. And I cannot go more than a week without listening to you. And just reading them just makes me so happy and warms my heart getting to know you guys a bit better on who actually listens. And so it got me thinking that in the near future, I will be doing a giveaway. So on my Instagram, I'll post all the details coming soon. But for whoever leaves a review for the podcast and then screenshots and sends it to me, then you'll be entered into a giveaway for some of my services. So that I've been thinking about doing. So I'll do that in the next few weeks and then keep you guys posted on Instagram at nutrition moderation over there with all the details on how to do that. But if you've already sent in a review, just screenshot it and then send it to me in a message on Instagram and I'll, I'll enter you in there as well. But I just wanted to just, you know, say thank you to everyone who did post something. It was just super awesome. And then another update is for the episode that you're about to listen to with Dr. Robin, there was some trouble with the microphone that was scratching up against her jacket. So the audio was a little bit difficult to hear her. So I did play with the audio all day. So, um, you know, downloaded different softwares and things like that and played around with tons of settings. And so after many hours playing with the audio, 
I think I got it to a decent point where you can make out a lot of the words that she's saying and, you know, hopefully it doesn't bother you too much. So I just wanted to give you a little heads up that the audio might not be as great quality, but the information is super top notch and really great stuff. It was a really great episode. I really enjoyed recording it. So just wanted to give you a little heads up with that. If you're like, huh, this doesn't sound like it usually does. What's going on with this? That is why. And I did my absolute very best for you guys. But without further ado, let me introduce you to Dr. Robin Murphy, who is a naturopathic doctor at Conceive Health Clinic with expertise in preconception and reproductive health. She is also the scientific advisor at DNA Labs Canada and co-creator of a fertility genetics panel, which is super cool. Dr. Robin uses a holistic approach to address underlying causes that impact fertility, including hormone, immune, digestive, neuroendocrine, and metabolic imbalances. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Robin. Thanks so much, Alex. I'm so excited. It's cliche to say that, but I actually am. I really love talking about this topic, Um, and there's just so many exciting things to share uh, coming up, so thanks for having me. Of course. I'm really excited to dive in and all things fertility, preconception health, and genetics and how that plays a role. And I know based on the the stats, most of my audience is in their younger 20s and also some in their 30s as well. And so this topic I know is super important to get out there and get all the correct information. And So I'm excited to chat with you. I'd love to just start off by me getting to know you a bit better and the audience getting to know you a bit better. So if you could tell everyone what got you interested in the field of fertility and genetics, genetic testing, how did that all get started? Yeah, you know, it's interesting what universe, uh, the universe kind of hands to you because I always had a plan in mind um, from a very young age of becoming a doctor. I was actually interested in uh, brain and heart health and maybe becoming a cardiovascular surgeon or something like that. But I took a, a Buddhism class just as an elective um, in my fourth, so cool. third year yeah, of university. So I was doing pre-med, all sciences, you know, but I like to balance it out. So I, I uh, did an elective in Buddhism. And uh, the professor talked about Tibetan medicine, and I had never heard of this. So I was like, wow, what is this? What is this whole other form of medicine perspective on health? Like it kind of just blew my mind wide open. And so that led me into actually being really interested about other types of medicine. And so it led me on this path. I actually moved to China because I was so interested in it. That is so cool. Um, And my Chinese family, uh, the father was a Chinese doctor, so he would do acupuncture and and give me different types of herbs and things like that. And so I just became really fascinated with, um, you know, I would say complementary and alternative medicine. And so it led me to start to look at different types of programs that I could uh, study when I came back to Canada. And then that led me into naturopathic medicine. Um, And then the genetics piece, again, it's just kind of like the universe is kind of laying this path. But I was in practice one day and I got a a test kit from a genetics company. And I said, well, I'm going to do this. This looks really cool. I just, I love to learn. I love, especially when I don't know about something, I love to learn. So I got into, so I I sent my panel in and uh, got a call from the company and said, hey, come meet our CEO. We're going to talk about the results. And that ended up 
uh, into a three-hour conversation and discussion, just sharing knowledge about our different perspectives. He was a geneticist. I was uh, a doctor. And uh, that actually led to a job. So, wow. <laughs> wow. And then from there, I, I know, right? It's, it's just kind of uh, kismet. And then so from there, I met uh, the owners of the clinic where I'm at now, which uh, was infertility. And we just loved geeking out about the potentials of, you know, this, there's a lot of uncertainty with infertility. So patients will come um, a lot of times, about 50% of the time, if they're having trouble conceiving, it's uh, idiopathic, which means, you know, the really the cause is unknown. And so it just led us to all these other questions. Like, okay, it's unknown, but that doesn't mean that there's not a reason. And so that's kind of led to an eight-year, you know, geek fest and <laughs> knowledge <laughs> sharing where uh, it, it eventually led us developing a genetics panel together. So, so that's wow. how I got into it. That is so cool. Who would have thought that, you know, that whole journey leading up to this moment? And I love just how you got, you know, into all these different fields. And it seems like the university was just presenting all these opportunities to you and just saying, here's the direction that you're meant to go in. And well, so- and I've always said, like, it's nice to have a plan. It's really great to have a plan, but, you know, be open to opportunities and possibilities. And uh, one of my colleagues gave some great advice and said, you know, never turn down an opportunity to meet somebody because you never know where it's going to lead. True. Starting off with just some great advice <laughs> on the podcast. Um, so I am curious to dive a little bit more into the fertility piece because I know for a lot of people, especially what we see in movies and TV, it seems like you know two people get together and boom, baby. But what a lot of people don't realize is that it is important to have things in place because fertility does start way before even conceiving. So I'd love to talk a little bit more about what people should know when trying to conceive and then if we could also talk about some preconception care. Yeah, definitely. I think this is such a great topic, especially for women and couples kind of in their 20s, in their early 30s. Maybe they're not thinking about you know, starting a family yet, but there are things that we do uh, in our in our life that can affect our fertility. And there are conditions that can, you know, kind of pop up in the 20s, um, you know, that are giving you a sign that maybe there's something going on that could affect your fertility down the road. So, you know, women, they're born with all of their eggs, essentially, um, when they're born. So the body stores that in the ovary. And then during puberty is when those eggs go into their first stage of uh, maturation. And then they arrest, meaning that they just kind of, they're put on pause. And then once every month, when a woman uh, menstruates every month, there's a group of those eggs that will start to mature, right? And and then one of those will um, grow to, to full maturation and then get ovulated. And that's the egg, you know, that has the potential to be fertilized. Now that process of maturation takes three months. So it takes three months for the egg in that final stage to mature. And for men, it takes about three months for sperm to mature. Now they just recite, they just produce millions and millions of millions of sperm. It's not like they're born with the, all the sperm that they have. So they're a little bit more resilient when it comes to that standpoint. But um, that 
that time period, that 100 days roughly, is that preconception period. And so the 100 days before you conceive, everything that you're doing from a nutritional standpoint, you know, hormonal, uh, environmental, what you're eating, what you're exposed to, uh, the stress that you're under, the sleep quality, all of this will have a big impact on that egg quality and the potential Mm -hmm. for fertilization and then the quality of the embryo. Which, you know, when you think about, um, you know, what's happening, I, I, I did a course talking about electives. I did my undergrad was in sciences, but um, I, I did my advanced electives in embryology and fetal physiology. Oh. And it is so cool. It is just amazing what happens in those first stages of development. Like a human is being created. So it takes a lot of nutrients. It takes a lot of energy. Um, and it's, it's really susceptible to, you know, um, the environment. And I, when I talk about the environment, I talk about our external environment. So, you know, what are we exposed to, but then internal environment, you know, on a, on a microscopic scale, what is the egg what is the embryo? What is it being exposed to? And that has to do with what's in your blood. Uh, so blood flow, nutrients, hormones, all these other chemical signalings, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that's kind of where I've landed in supporting couples is around that preconception um, period. But as I mentioned, there's lots of things that can impact it. So um, I think it's important to talk about, you know, the, some of those other symptoms that can come up early on that can just kind of signal you that there may be something going on that's worth addressing. Okay. And when you say the symptoms, what kind of symptoms are we talking about there? Yeah. So, you know, the conditions may be um, what people are most familiar with. So they may have heard of PCOS, um, endometriosis, mm-hmm. um, even weight gain, under being underweight, overweight, um, smoking, alcohol use, these type of things. Um, so the symptoms that we're looking for is things like irregular menstrual cycles. Mm-hmm. So kind of a, a regular cycle, it can be anywhere between 25 and so let's say 32 days, but we want it to be pretty consistent, you know, give or take one or two days every month. So if you're seeing fluctuations that are more than seven days, you know, that's a sign. And a lot of times women will notice um, changes with their um, hormones in the sense of like mood. They can notice PMS uh, either a couple days before or seven days before their period starts. They may be noticing acne, you know, and, and that's a big one, especially in the teens. Um, that was for me personally, that was a huge, uh, you know, pin in my side <laughs> growing <laughs> up is uh, dealing with my skin. And um, I remember my doctor, you know, prescribed um, just antibiotics, right? And so antibiotics, you know, it helps with the symptom, right? But we never talked about, okay, why is it coming up? And it it was hormonal. It was definitely hormonal looking back. So even acne, you know, can be a sign that there is underlying hormonal imbalances. Um, And often the birth control pill will be used, to kind of help regulate the cycle, help to clear up the skin, uh, even help with mood changes. And it it can be helpful as a contraception. Um, It's also just kind of shutting down your own hormonal 
uh, pathways. Mm-hmm. So it's not actually fixing anything. So what happens is when women come off of the pill and they're ready to start a family, then all of those, potentially, all of those other underlying hormonal imbalances come back. Mm-hmm. That was actually something I was going to ask about is, so the the three months, is that for someone who is generally healthy in order to prepare, you know, maybe take some supplements, clean up the diet and exercise? What about for someone who has maybe PCOS, endometriosis, or is coming off birth control? Would you extend that that time period before preconception? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, you know, what I like to say is I, I like to have any conditions or symptoms stabilized for at least three months. Um, and with endometriosis, you know, the, the key factor there is early diagnosis. So the common symptoms are infertility, really heavy or painful uh, cramps and menstruation. Um, and then the chronic pelvic pain you know, can show up. So not just pelvic pain during the, the period, but also throughout uh, the month. So those are kind of s- symptoms or signals to say, hey, there's probably something else going on here. Um, we need to be diagnosed. But what happens is a lot of times um, it just goes left, you know, like um, there's no real follow-up um, until the symptoms are really severe or until a woman steps into a fertility clinic and starts to do further investigation. So with endometriosis, the key there is early diagnosis. So just coming in, making sure you're getting assessed. Um, There are some blood tests that we can do as a preliminary screening for that. And there are some genetic uh, markers which are shown uh, when people uh, carry those markers that an increased risk of endometriosis. So that can help us to kind of narrow it in and say, oh, it might be likely that this is happening. And there's some really neat um, uh, doctors uh, actually out of Hamilton that are, they've been trained in uh, Europe um, to specialize in the diagnosis, um, in endometriosis diagnosis using ultrasound, which oh, yeah. isn't typically done. So um, it's better than the, you know, than going for the um, laparoscopic surgery that's usually recommended as a diagnostic. That's currently the gold standard. Um, so to answer your question, it's kind of long-winded, but uh, to answer the question, like, you know, we want to see kind of symptoms stabilized. It depends how old women are too. You know, if they're after 35, then we may try and optimize fertility and try a little bit earlier. Um, if they're under 35, under 30, then I would give it, you know, three to six months. Uh, making sure we're balancing the hormones. It usually takes about three months to see, you know, um, consistent hormonal uh, response to treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it depends, you know, it always depends on on the individual, you know, what is their lifestyle? What are other, you know, inhibiting factors that we're dealing with that could be, um, you know, preventing them from responding to treatment? Stress is a big one, um, you know, environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot that you mentioned there that um, I'm sure a lot of people are resonating with too. They're like, oh my gosh, I'm stressed. And, you know, maybe I do have an underlying condition. So even what you just mentioned about endometriosis, that's huge because I know it takes, you know, a decade for most women to get diagnosed. So especially if they could 
you know, do an ultrasound that's coming out or some of those genetic testings, like you mentioned, is a big game changer. Something that I wanted to ask as well is about egg quality and ways that we can improve our egg quality for optimal fertility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we talk about egg quality, it's really about um, providing the nutrients that we know the egg is using, um, you know, and protects the egg from potential damage from a micro environment and, and external environmental uh, factors. So the main things, uh, you know, things like the prenatal, it will have a good selection of essential minerals as well as vitamins. Um, A big one that most people will hear about has to do with uh, CoQ10. Mm -hmm. So CoQ10, it's also known as ubiquinol. And so that comes from the the name ubiquin, well, ubiquitous, right? Which means everywhere. (laughs) So ubiquinol, it's found everywhere. Um, It's used everywhere in the body. And so CoQ10 is one of the cofactors for the mitochondria to create energy, to produce energy. So the mitochondria, if people haven't heard of that term before, it's a, it's like a nuclear power plant. So it's what's producing energy in the cell. And for you to be alive, for a cell to be alive, it needs to produce energy. And so CoQ10, uh, it's an antioxidant. So it helps with this, you know, nuclear power plant to protect it from DNA damage. Um, and it's interesting when they're looking at studies because especially a lot of these studies will be done in women over the age of 35, where we see as the woman age, the egg quality actually goes down. So there's more tendency for DNA damage as we age. That's just a natural uh, consequence of aging, you know? And so it's antioxidants that tend to prevent against that aging. And it's helping to preserve the cellular function and and protect the DNA from damage. So what you'll see as women get older, there's more tendency for for abnormal cells, abnormal um, embryos that are developed from those eggs. We'll see more chromosomal uh, uh, alterations so that they may have an extra chromosome or an, uh, missing certain chromosomes. This is called aneuploidy. Um, so you'll see it, it goes up as we age. Also when women are younger, they, there's a higher rate and I can't explain that, but it, it's this U-shape, U-shape curve. Wow. And younger, do you mean like, like teens younger or? Yeah, it's in like 20s, early 20s and and younger. Uh, I was looking at some IVF research that was showing rates of aneuploidy. And it seems to be high when you're young and then high in kind of the the uh, mid-30s and on. And so this, you know, this speaks to the body's kind of natural selection. So often what will happen is women will get pregnant and... um, they may actually not even know that they're pregnant. And so their, their, their period may be late by a week or maybe yeah. two. And uh, then there's just a spontaneous loss. And that is often because of genetic uh, alterations. So it's kind of nature's way of, you know, ensuring that there is a, a healthy pregnancy. And usually these genetic variations, these abnormalities that you see in chromosomal numbers or 
there's different types, but um, you'll see that be kind of naturally selected out. You know, they're not, they're not viable. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's super, super fascinating that all that research that's coming out now with, with the U-curve and stuff. I had no idea about that. So we talked about, I wanted to, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Okay. I wanted to add, cause I go on these tangents, <laughs> but there's, there's other things we can do in There's other nutrients. Um, so things like vitamin D is really important. Um, omega-3 uh, fatty acids are really important. I mentioned prenatal. Um, L-carnitine is something that we'll use as well. Um, so the L-carnitine helps to transport the CoQ10 into the cell. So that's really important. Um, if there's any thyroid issues, we always address that. So we'll use um, other um, antioxidants like selenium. Um, inositol is something that we use quite commonly that's really helpful if there's PCOS um, you know I can go on and on but it, it's that's kind of a foundation and um, you know the key is that we you know individualize it according to women you know and, and symptoms and what's going on but that's kind of the I would say the, the key key seven that's super helpful what I'm just curious for the vitamin D, how does that play a role in fertility? Oh, so vitamin D is so <laughs> fascinating. Um, so vitamin D is actually a hormone and vitamin D is a nuclear factor, meaning that it, it the hormone, it signals the cell to then produce um, hundreds of genes. Wow. So it's turning on hundreds of genes. And what vitamin D does, there's multiple you know functions, but it's important for calcium absorption. It's important for the immune system. And so in pregnancy, um, both of those, calcium um, and the minerals, are really important for the fertilization, the, the moment of conception, um, as well as the binding of the embryo into the, or I should say the implantation of the embryo into the endometrial lining. And that process... Um, if this is really a foreign object, right? This is like a little alien, <laughs> genetically, you know, similar but not 100% similar. So the immune system actually goes through an alteration, and it's vitamin D. There's been studies looking at variations in vitamin D and how if women have really low vitamin D, that immune regulation doesn't happen, that tolerance doesn't happen as well, and so there can be issues with implantation. And so you'll see early pregnancy loss or, you know, fertilization happens, but then there's no implantation. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's, I did not know all that about vitamin D. That's so cool. And the immune system that changes. Definitely. And then vitamin D is typically lower in women who are overweight, who have PCOS. And then if it's lower, there's also a potential increased risk for endometriosis as well. So it's really important to be making sure that you're getting your vitamin D tested and then making sure that you're getting levels up to an optimal amount. And I, I, when I say optimal, I'm not just going on the lab, you know, uh, conventional standards that we're looking for. There are actual, you know, studies saying that women's pregnancy rate will increase if they have PCOS, if it's, you know, up to 120 uh, animals per liter. So the, the typical cutoff for adequacy is about 70. Um, so that's a big difference. And being in Canada and 
you know, having the lovely winters that we do. Yeah. Uh, we're very prone to low vitamin D, especially now, now that we've been uh, dealing <laughs> with, you know, six months of winter. Um, so it's really, you know, important to get tested. Good. I was actually just going to say that I was going to say with your practice and my practice in Canada, vitamin D is so low in most people. And because it's an extra cost, a lot of people don't think to ask for it, or they just, you know, don't ask for it at all. And I think that's super important to get tested. And now that you mentioned all the the importance with PCOS and weight and the importance in fertility and all that, I think it's super, super important for people to get these blood panels and see where they stand and be proactive. Well, and mood too, it plays a huge impact on our mental health. And so you'll see seasonal mm-hmm. affect disorder is linked to uh, vitamin D levels. Mm-hmm. Super fascinating. And then of course, those are just the basics and, and it totally depends what someone's dealing with. So I love that you, you know, tailor the whole supplement protocol to someone who comes to work with you. Uh, I'm just curious because we've we've mentioned a little bit about some of the, you know, PCOS, endometriosis, some of those factors like smoking. What do you see most typically in your practice? What do you see that's most common with people struggling with fertility? I would say it's a it's a wide range, but thyroid, you know. Um, Autoimmune thyroid, uh, it's called Hashimoto's, um, is quite common. So that can affect um, cycle regularity, um, how heavy the flow is. Um, and if the thyroid hormone isn't binding properly, um, that's actually you know what's stimulating um, uh, the growth of the fetus. So that you know if that's compromised, then you'll see issues with infertility. That's a big one. Um, yeah, I work with a lot of endometriosis and PCOS, insulin resistance, um, a lot of um, people struggling with their weight, just looking mm-hmm. to optimize their weight. We know if um, the weight is above a certain BMI, then it'll increase risk for pregnancy complications as well as uh, miscarriage rate or pregnancy loss. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just trying to think, yeah, there's, you know, there's so many variety that I see a lot of digestive stuff, you know, IBS, which is kind of interesting because I do see a correlation between chronic infections and issues with fertility as well. So we're starting to see that more and more. There's a cool test that's uh, relatively new. It's called the Emma and Alice test. So they're looking at the endometrial microbiome. That is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's done actually by the reproductive endocrinologist. They'll take a, a sample, they'll take a biopsy, and then um, based on the quantity of ty- different types of bacteria, we're starting to see patterns of you know likelihood for a successful pregnancy. So women oh who have gosh. a higher concentration of lactobacillus tend to have a higher um, chance of getting pregnant. And so if there's any of these other bacteria in there, like Gardnerella or uh, E. coli or Bifido, um, typically what they'll do is they'll prescribe antibiotics. And then I'll give probiotics on my side mm-hmm. um, to help replenish you know, the lactobacillus strain. Um, 
and uh, it's early in the in you know utilization, but we're seeing positive results there. That is so cool. This is why I love having a podcast because I get to learn all these new things with everyone listening. Who would have thought that digestion and pregnancy are you know so highly correlated and and uh, that is so cool. Yeah, they um, you know it's interesting when you look at the the stuff around the microbiome. I I just geek out about this because I, I started looking into you know the role that bacteria play in fertilization and the bacteria from the vaginal canal and from the penile environment from the partner, um, those bacteria actually transcend up into the uterus and then will facilitate the fertilization process. And so this is, this is like my definition of symbiosis. Like this other (laughs) organism is actually helping our species to, to uh, procreate, which blows my mind. And then there's all these other changes that, you know, we'll see in the uh, uterine and endometrial microbiome throughout pregnancy that facilitates, you know, the, um, the pregnancy throughout um, to prevent against infections, you know, to kind of quiet the uh, immune response. Um, we even see it in nutrient um, metabolism. Um, so it's just, I, this is really early on. I, I like doing a lot of research. So often I come across these kind of novel types of topics, but we'll start to see more of this, you know, in the future. So it's something I'm kind of paying attention to in practice and uh, just making sure that if there is a recurrence of infections. So when I say infections, it could be bacterial vaginosis or yeast infections or recurrent UTIs. Um, If there's been any sexually transmitted um, infections, we can see that having an impact. So just making sure that we're addressing those so that, you know, we support the immune system, we replenish the microbiome, um, we help to remove the infection, um, making sure that we're addressing that, you know, prior to conception. Wow. And that just gets me thinking as well, just speaking of the environment and the microbiome. uh, I know a lot of women are using these feminine washes. And that just gets me thinking that we should not be using those anytime, uh, especially when looking to get pregnant and stuff, because I'm sure it messes with all that natural microbiome. And Yeah, I, uh, I agree with you. Um, I think it's, um, you know, a disservice to women, you know, around that we, you know, that the, we need to wash that area. And that <laughs> if there are any odors or Anything that's going on, this is a symptom. This is a sign. So it could be that there are uh, there is dysbiosis, so an imbalance in the bacteria, um, and there are treatments that we use that help to improve the vaginal environment. So um, adding in those lactobacillus bacteria that helps with the pH levels that will help to prevent against infections. That can often help with odor. Um, there are um, antibiotics as well as antimicrobials that we can use. Um, one of my favorite things to use is boric acid. Mm-hmm. The boric acid works the same way as um, similar to uh, probiotics in that it's helping to reduce the pH, so the acidity levels. And that just makes it more inhospitable, you know, to foreign invaders. <laughs> uh, they don't like a really acidic environment, so it's harder for them to find and, you know, um, 
perpetuate. Super fascinating. I also would love to talk, we touched a little tiny bit in each area, but some of these environmental things, diet, nutrition, toxins, and how that can play a role as well in fertility and preconception care. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when it comes to diet, you know, first we have to look at what is your diet? You know, what's the baseline? Where are we starting? Because that can be so different for everybody. Um, it depends on your culture. It depends on, you know, how you grew up. Um, in Canada, we have a saying, it's, we have a sad diet, which is a, uh, <laughs> a standard kind of North American, uh, diet. Yeah. And, uh, it, it can be higher in processed foods, um, not as many vegetables, um, more takeout, um, more kind of rancid oils or adulterated oils, um, mm-hmm. you know, higher in, in sodium and, and reduction in kind of the micronutrients that we need. So, um, is, so let's say that someone comes in with that kind of baseline and, you know, they'll eat a, a one or two servings of vegetables a day. Um, they're eating out two or three times a week. Um, you know, these, these aren't necessarily ideal with what we want with the types of nutrients and the quality of the nutrients that we want to provide. So the the best diet, when you look at all this, they do studies on this, and it seems like the best diet is the Mediterranean diet. And you'll hear this for a lot of different types of diseases, chronic diseases. Um, But essentially, the the Mediterranean diet focuses on whole foods. Yeah. You know, so less takeout, less process. Um, If you're eating grains, it's whole grains. And uh, you're getting about five to eight servings of vegetables a day you know, two or three servings of fruit. Um, and again, whole foods. And um, and then not a lot of like processed liquids. So, you know, we have to think about sugar content and things like pops. Um, it's a big one. Um, amount of coffee that you're drinking, that can have an effect. You know, the amount of caffeine that you're taking in that's been linked to uh, risk for pregnancy loss. If you're drinking over, you know, 300 milligrams. Mm-hmm. Um, so the diet, yeah, the diet can be really helpful. Um, depend, and, and especially if you have certain conditions. So if you're overweight, um, PCOS, those are the, the studies that come to mind. They looked at women who were given the Mediterranean diet it helped to improve uh, cycle regularity. So. It helped to improve pregnancy rate and decrease um, pregnancy loss. That that was just diet, and and the the stats were high. It was like an increase wow. of forty four percent. Oh my gosh! With just food alone, just food alone, and so I get really pumped about this because. A lot of times, you know, the first kind of line of action or or treatment are medications, but the medications aren't guaranteeing, you know, that egg quality. It's not changing the egg quality and it may not change that maturation phase. It it will, um, you know, kind of artificially, Mm -hmm. but not, it's, it's not giving, you know, the, the egg, the nutrients that it needs in order to thrive. So... Mm -hmm. Um, the diet piece, you know, I get, I get excited about. And so, um, it's something that people can do as a foundation and everyone can do, you know, at home. 
And it's easier said than done for sure. So I do find I work a lot with patients and just, you know, starting slow. And I, and I say, let's just add in one vegetable a day, one, one extra serving uh, Mm -hmm. to each meal. You know, that's a good, that's a really good place to start. Or let's look at what's the the most offending agent, (laughs) you know, (laughs) let's see if we can replace that with something. Good. I love that. It's doable and it's approachable for most people who are thinking, oh my gosh, now I have to like totally rearrange my diet and, you know, totally change things, but it doesn't have to be that complicated or that intimidating. No. And, and I come from a place of empathy because I remember when I was learning this stuff, I had to revamp my diet and it took me years. It took me years. Mm -hmm. So I, I grew up on a typical Canadian diet. I think we always had a really good dinner. Um, but we would have cereal in the morning and maybe a sandwich at, at, uh, lunch and then lots of like bagel bites and pizza pockets and, (laughs) you know, I don't know. Pop tarts, toasters, Yeah, Yeah. I can relate. (laughs) So I remember going to the grocery store, um, you know, after I was learning all of this in in medical school, which is crazy to me, um, but we, I didn't learn about nutrition until then. But um, I just remember thinking like, oh my God, what am I going to eat? Like I, I literally didn't know where to start. And so I, I always remember that for patients too. And I say, okay, I've been there. I know I remember that state of mind and just being kind of overwhelmed. Um, and so that's, that's where I work with patients. You know, I start from ground zero, wherever they are, you know, we yeah. figure out what's achievable. Good. I love that. That's totally approachable for your clients and patients and everyone listening. Just to implement some of these things that you're saying in terms of Mediterranean diet, I'm curious if there are three specific foods to include and three specific foods that you tend to recommend that your patients avoid. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, if you're looking for uh, improving fertility, the things that I say you should avoid is alcohol, Mm -hmm. Uh, limit caffeine, and I usually, uh, you know, base this on their genetics, but either less than 100 to 200 milligrams. And I really like to suggest, um, and it depends on their health, but if, say, for example, they're having issues with insulin, um, like with PCOS, then a lot of times I'll... I'll switch out any processed grains for whole grains. And so what I mean by that is instead of having like a bagel um, or like a white, uh, white bread or something like that, like switching to maybe uh, a whole grain, like whole wheat, or even just doing um, more vegetables, vegetables are carbohydrates as well. But adding in, what I like to add in is all the leafy greens, you know, the cruciferous vegetables, uh, leafy greens, things like spinach or have a ton of nutrients. Um, all these cruciferous vegetables like broccoli, kale, cabbage, they're really good for estrogen metabolism. Mm-hmm. So they're shown to help, you know, the help to eliminate estrogen appropriately. Um and I also like to add in seeds sometimes. I'll add in like flaxseed. They're really high in nutrients. Did I answer all your questions? Yes. Yeah. I'm just writing down. So 
alcohol, decrease caffeine, and then swap the processed grains for whole grains. So that's to avoid or decrease or swap. And then include leafy greens like spinach, cruciferous veg, and then seeds like flaxseed, chia seed, hemp. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And and on that note too is protein. You know, I also find people aren't eating enough protein. So we typically need at least, uh, I would say, minimum of 70 grams per day. And that depends on your body weight. Um, A quick way to gauge is about 1 to 1.2 grams per kilogram body weight is the ideal. And then you split that up in between three meals. You are reading my mind. That was going to be my next question is talking about some of these macronutrients and the role. So I, I was going to start with protein and how that is important and how much we should be getting. And then I want to ask about healthy fats as well and how that plays a role in, in the egg quality and hormones, fertility. Yeah. So I always say like you are what you eat when it comes to fat because <laughs> all of your cells are made up of fat. You know, that outer layer, that outer membrane is all fat. And so what you see is if there's more trans fats that are being eaten, that membrane isn't as fluid. It's not as, you know, nice and um, it's not able to move as well. And then it doesn't allow the receptors to, you know, bind the hormones as well. It just kind of, you think about like um, butter that's, you know, solid at room temperature, you know, you think of that in the cell. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's the healthy fats like omega three saturated omega three fatty acids that uh, provide a lot of that liquidity. You know that fluidity. So you want to replace a lot of the you know saturated or and mostly trans fats with the omega three uh, fatty acids. So these are found in say fish, um, the active forms like EPA, DHA. So uh, cold water fish is kind of good. Um, I also like using olive oil, avocado oil. Um, you can get it in lots of nuts and seeds. That's why I add those in. And so the more oils that you have, it helps from a fertility standpoint because if those hormones are able to bind uh, properly, then it's going to you know equate to a healthier egg and ovulation and hormonal pattern. We also see less inflammation. And then with the sperm, we also see better motility. Wow. That's so fascinating. And I also want to be mindful of your time here. So I want to just touch on the lifestyle piece as well. And then just some quick questions about DNA and your upcoming program and all that good stuff. Yeah. So the lifestyle piece, I really focus, you know, it's important to focus on things like sleep quality that'll affect your hormones. It affects your mm-hmm. oxidative stress levels. Um, it affects just everything, your quality of life, <laughs> which is really important. You know, if you're trying to conceive, you have to get along with your partner, right? It's gonna put a, a hamper in your in your conception plans. Um, yeah. the other piece is is looking at toxin exposure. I think that's that's a huge uh, topic. So I'm gonna just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to Trying to avoid uh, pesticides, I would say, is the biggest one. Get a get an air filter, uh, eat organic, and get a water filter. Is kind of a good place for people to start. Um, and then stress. Stress is another piece. Again, just managing stress. Uh, we do see that it affects, uh, can affect the cycle, can affect uh, you know sleep patterns and other 
um, indirect measurements that will affect fertility. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that's something that is really important to to think about, and not you know stress. It's such a generalized term, right? Yeah. So it's about finding out. A lot of people will say, "No, I'm not stressed," but you find that they've created habits that kind of uh, help them to manage the stress in their life, but their stress levels are still at a seven or eight out of ten, and it's constant. So. You know, things, I I like to incorporate things that, um, you know, I do myself, which are, you know, mindfulness, um, getting off the phone and TV Mm -hmm. at least an hour before bed, um, having quiet time, you know, just where you literally do nothing. It took me a while to figure out how to do this, but (laughs) uh, that's really important. Being out in nature, you know, Mm -hmm. exercising, going for walks, uh, but really finding something that works with your lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and just helping to balance, you know, if you're really, um, you know, competitive and you're, you know, you have a high drive for your career, that's fine. But it's about su- supporting that, you know, what are the things that you're doing so that you can, you know, ensure the longevity of your, your career, as well as your, you know, your quality of life, mm-hmm. and prevent burnout and some of the other consequences that we see with, you know, that high pace. Yeah, I once heard that, um, I believe this was in school, just saying in terms of the stress piece, if you're super stressed, you're not creating that healthy environment for the baby. And to me, that just made so much sense. Like, okay, if I'm stressed, I'm not creating this healthy, optimal environment. And just picturing that in my mind made a lot of sense. Well, this this can kind of tie into the genetics. So this is really fascinating because they've looked at studies where women were extremely stressed and there's different types of stress. There's nutritional stress, there's stress from war, you know, and things like that. So you can look at studies, uh, retroactive studies where there's been large populations who have gone through famine or they've gone through war while pregnant. And then you look at those babies and you look at their behavioral components and different changes that it has on their genetics. So it's called epigenetic modification. Mm -hmm. But essentially what you see is if women who are really stressed during pregnancy, it changes the pathways in the brain and the, the genes in the brain that are responsible for responding to stress in the environment. And then those babies will have, will grow up, have various behavioral alterations, like they'll be more reactive to stress, they'll, they'll have higher cortisol levels when they're exposed to stress. So it's actually physiological changes that you can measure because of the environment that they were in during pregnancy. So fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so neat. So that I think you're also teaching yourself, you know, um, if you were to implement things like mindfulness, stress management techniques, whatever that looks like, you're also training yourself, you know, to be more resilient during different life phases. So if you're pregnant, you can utilize those skills. If you're going through major life stressors, you can utilize those skills. I love working with people in their early 20s, 20s, because I feel like if you're setting yourself up during that time to implement some of these, like you're set, like you'll figure it out, you'll be okay. Yeah. I love that. I mean, there's so much detail here. I know on your website too, there's, you can read about all the genetic testing and um, DNA and your Instagram is a great resource as well. 
So just want to ask a couple more questions before I let you go. If you could talk about the genetics fertility panel a little bit, I'd be super interested to know more about that. Sure. Um, And this really helps us to individualize this preconception care um, and really help to understand, are there risk factors um, that can prevent you from getting pregnant? So we're looking at different genes will affect your nutrients. We're looking at genes that can affect your um, say risk for endometriosis, even a few factors that have um, started to show implications with things like pregnancy loss, um, and then also proper macronutrient and dietary um, interventions to help to prevent things like insulin resistance, help with weight management, um, and metabolic syndrome. And all of those can affect pregnancy, uh, getting pregnant and staying pregnant, um, as well as risks for pregnancy complications. So the company um, is called Fern DNA. So yeah. our, people can go to www.ferndna.com. Um, and it's, it's this preconception uh, genetics panel. It's different than you would, you know, get a chromosomal test or something to look at the, the normality of the fetus. It's, it's different. So it's more focused on this nutrition lifestyle um, interventions that you can do for for preconception. Wow. That is so cool. And that's fern, F-E-R-N, DNA.com. Super, super cool. And they can do that through you as well. Um, no, just go straight to the, the website. The website. Okay, perfect. Uh, one thing I always like to ask at the end of the podcast episode is, is there anything that we didn't get to touch on that you really want to mention? Something that is on your mind? Something that fascinated you recently that you just want to share? Yeah. Um, well, I'm really excited about the group program that I'm launching. And so often what I find is, you know, um, this implementation of the lifestyle, di- dietary, nutritional um, components. It, it takes time to implement. And in this group program, I'm addressing all of that with everyone. And so it's a little bit more achievable for people to come and see me rather than one-on-one. Yeah. We do it in a group setting. It's virtual. Um, it can be anonymous if you like. Uh, but we also touch on some of those other aspects where we look at the microbiome. Um, you know, what can we do to improve the health of the microbiome? Um, how to actually track your cycle. So when you're looking to conceive, you want to make sure that you're having intercourse on the right dates, right? Yeah. And you can actually use, you know, the signs of your body, like cervical mucus, temperature, you can do LH strips. Um, so teaching, you know, how to do that properly to improve chances of conception um, and then going through the diet and lifestyle aspects. And so, what I'm excited about is the practicality of it. So we actually develop, you know, your own personal preconception program uh, through each each step in each uh, phase of the course. So it's five weeks, and uh, I'm going to be launching it in the next couple of weeks. Yay! Five weeks is a totally doable amount of time as well. So that's wonderful. And yep, coming up soon in April. So I'll share all the links below so people can head there and check out the program. And then otherwise, are you on Instagram or um, Facebook or your website? Yeah, I'm definitely on uh, Instagram and Facebook. So the the handle is uh, Dr. Robin Murphy. Um, I like to share lots of tips and research and, you know, anything that comes to mind around fertility and hormone balance. 
Um, same with Facebook. And then my website is just uh, com. Perfect. Easy. The same across all platforms. <laughs> Good. Well, I just want to say thank you so much and just acknowledge you, give you lots of gratitude for coming on and sharing all this super wonderful practical information that I know I benefited from. So I'm sure everyone listening to is just going to find this absolutely fascinating and loving that you're keeping up with all the most recent research and it's super fascinating. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing. Yeah, my pleasure. It's been a blast. Thanks, Alex. My friends, thank you so much for listening in. If you liked this episode, feel free to share it with a friend, subscribe, rate, or review this podcast. For more health, wellness, and lifestyle tips, you can come say hi to me on Instagram at nutritionmoderation or online at nutritionmoderation.com. I hope you have an amazing day wherever you are. We'll chat soon.